Well, good morning again. My name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm so glad that you're here today again on this beautiful Palm Sunday as we celebrate and talk about the events uh, really that began today so long ago uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem about ready to face his death for all of humanity. And so we're going to be taking a look today at a passage of scripture from Luke chapter 19. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 19. We're going to kind of use that as a springboard. And we are going to be looking at the Palm Sunday events. But we're going to do it in a bit of a different context as we're in a series called Only Jesus that begins today and ends next week. Short two-week series where we're taking Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And we're going to be talking about the fact that God chose to redeem mankind, not through a multiple variety of avenues, not through many different ways, but God chose to redeem mankind. God chose the forgiveness of all of our sins through one way, through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be taking a look at that over the course of the next two weeks. And if you have your notes, when you came in, you received notes, I want to draw your attention to those. You can follow along in those, or if you'd rather use your device, you can get on our free Wi-Fi and access our notes via our website online. Before we dive in, would you just join me in a word of prayer as we commit these next few minutes uh, to the Lord? God, thank you so much for what you did for us. By making the decision to go into Jerusalem on that Sunday, that Palm Sunday. God, you decided that you would face what was coming in the week to come because you loved mankind and because you love us and because you wanted us to be redeemed to you. And Father God, I pray over these next few moments as we talk about the fact that Jesus was the only way. Father, I pray that you would help us not to be distracted by the events of last week. God, by the problems we're facing now. God, by what lies ahead tomorrow, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into wisdom and into truth and into knowledge. And Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, as their Savior. God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Pierce our hearts, look deep within us, and may we change as a result. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We as humans, we like options, don't we? We love options. I mean, that's why the cafeteria got started, right? Because we like options. That's why there's brunch, that's why there's like, you know, a buffet at every restaurant on Sundays, because we like to leave church and we like options, right? We love options. If you go out into the parking lot, there's not like one blue car times 150 with the same speed, you know, it's all automatic, they're all Honda Civics. It's a variety of different cars. We love options, don't we? It's why in America we have a political system that's divided. I mean, here in the United States, we were established based on democracy and based on freedom. But yet here in the United States, we have a two-party system that is deeply divided. And as you know, even within those parties, there's a lot of division. We like options as humans, don't we? We're very opinionated about where we're going to lunch when this guy gets done talking here in about an hour and a half. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just want to see if you're awake. 
We like options. We like to know. That's why we have so many restaurants on this little island. We have so many restaurants because humanity loves options. We like to think that there's a variety of different answers to the same problem. This was displayed in our house this week when there was a conversation. No, it was an argument. Uh, one of our children who will remain nameless decided that a certain math problem was the answer that he or she wanted it to be. And that that was the answer that they thought and that they thought that there were multiple answers to a very simple mathematical problem. And so this person in our family argued with he or she's mom and dad about the fact that 15 times 15 equaled 35. And we said, no, he or she, it doesn't equal 35. It equals something else, 225. And he or she explained, no, there are multiple options for this mathematical problem. We as humans love options even when we're wrong, don't we? And because we love options... This is why the world struggles so much, and maybe some of you are in here today, and you're struggling with why God decided to answer the problem, the distance, the gap between God, a perfect God, and sinful man via one way. The world, and perhaps some of you, Call it intolerant. Maybe that's understandable because we as humans, we like options. We call it narrow-minded or small because we as humans, we like options. We like to have multiple solutions to a problem that's fixed. And I want you to hear this today. God solved the problem of him being perfect and us being sinful by sending one perfect solution and that is jesus christ and jesus christ alone so over the course of these next two weeks we're going to discover why it was jesus alone why only jesus could solve the problem of this distance between us and god and it's interesting even in the palm sunday story we see a few of the nuances of why it was only Jesus that could have been the one that was going into Jerusalem to face his ultimate death, to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. I want you to imagine that day there in Jerusalem. You're part of the Jewish community there in Jerusalem. And one of the things that you know is, is that you feel like as a, a person, a Hebrew person, a Jewish person, you feel like the, the solution to all of your problems is that someone would rise up within the Jewish community to be the savior of the Jewish people. And what you want to be saved from is the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And so every time there was a rabbi that had some acclaim, any time there was someone within that Jewish community that had some kind of popularity, you would get excited because maybe this was the one, maybe this was our Savior who would rule and reign and save us from all the physical problems that the Roman Empire laid upon us. 
and you've converged on Jerusalem on this Passover, this time when all of the people who are Jewish who can come into Jerusalem do come into Jerusalem, and you're celebrating there, you're having feasts, you're gathering together with family and friends, and you're celebrating the deliverance that God provided the whole nation of Israel from the tyranny of the Egyptians 1,500 years earlier. And so you're gathered there, and you're celebrating the fact that God is the great deliverer. And so you're maybe just hoping that this year is different, that this year that king would come. And then all of a sudden, you begin to hear the rise of a familiar psalm that was written years and years ago that you as a Jewish person know so well. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that song that's being sung by one or two people becomes a great chorus over time. And as we just saw, then the whole city is shouting, Hosanna! And you're thinking, great, this is it! Finally, our Savior has come! The one that's going to rule and reign as a great warrior and a great king over the Roman Empire. And here comes this rabbi named Jesus, who you've heard of. But he's, he's coming into Jerusalem, and he's riding, not on a great horse, but he's riding on a donkey. And if you really understood your Old Testament, if you really understood the prophets that came before, you would have recognized this because you would have heard about this. But it might be confusing because you were waiting for a king, a great warrior, to come in on the, the most beautiful, largest stallion coming in victorious. And here the whole city of Jerusalem is up in an uproar because this humble rabbi comes in on a donkey. And so if you were a part of the Jewish community in Jerusalem, that Passover, this probably would have been very exciting, but also very confusing at the same time. What in the world is going on in Jerusalem? Let's take a look at Luke chapter 19. I chose Luke on this Palm Sunday, even though there's no mention of palms, because I love the detail that Luke, who is a doctor, goes into in Luke 19. Let's read verses 28 through 38 this morning. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here, Jesus says. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? It's like somebody coming and getting the keys to your car that's sitting out in your driveway, and all of a sudden they just decide that they're going to use your car. Excuse me? Uh, well, why are you using my car? Are you stealing my car? I've heard there's a lot of crime here in Hilton Head Plantation recently, but anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> they recognize that something's going on here, and of course Jesus had already predicted it. Verse 33, and as they were untying it, its owner said, why are you untying it? Verse 34, and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, they as they, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. 
as he was drawing near, already on the way down in the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I love this passage. And I don't know about you, but I get the feeling that it was like one or two disciples that began this great chorus, kind of ushering Jesus into Jerusalem. And then it just kind of grew from there. You ever been at a birthday party when there's like one person singing happy birthday? And then all of a sudden people join in in a glorious fashion. That's what I picture what was happening in Jerusalem that day. And they were ushering Jesus in to Jerusalem. Kind of interesting. We call it the triumphal entry. Triumph, meaning a kingly entry. Triumph with great victory. And Jesus certainly was going to be victorious over death, but he was coming as a humble servant to face his death. And because he was all God, he knew that. In some ways, this was anything but triumphal. In so many ways, he was indicating peace. The very fact that he rode in on a donkey, everyone that saw this, everyone that heard about it, would have known that it was a message of peace. See, if a great warrior had come on a horse, it would have been a message that there had either been a victory or there was war coming. But Jesus rode in on a donkey full of peace. Interesting thing about Luke 19 and interesting some few interesting facts about this particular passage. Bethany and Bethpage are a bit of a suburb of Jerusalem. They're located just to the east near the Mount of Olives. And Jesus had a lot of friends in Bethany and Bethpage, three of which we know of from the other Gospels, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who Jesus uh, raised from the dead during his time of miracles. And so Bethpage, a lot of scholars believe that Bethpage might have been a place that Jesus used as kind of a headquarters for his ministry in the neighboring city, large city, the holy city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus was probably very familiar with what went on. He probably had people in Bethpage that went into the city of Jerusalem to arrange for someone who was probably a follower of his to be able to use this donkey or colt. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because you notice when they took that colt, even though the owners of the colt asked, what are you doing? They didn't put up a fight, did they? They didn't argue. God's plan was in motion And God's people were being obedient to what he wanted to accomplish. The word colt is an interesting word because we have a picture of a donkey. And we'll talk about in a moment that colt and donkey can be used interchangeably because of the original verse that was used there. We'll talk about that in a moment. It wouldn't be uncommon for a rabbi to come into Jerusalem. But this rabbi was different. This Passover was uniquely different from anything else they had ever seen And it's interesting in this moment that the very people in Jerusalem who are singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just a few days later would be calling for Jesus' death. How quickly, how quickly we can be swayed by the crowd. How quickly we can be swayed by the crowd when we ourselves don't make a decision, when we ourselves aren't determined about what we believe, particularly about Jesus You get the image here? Jesus humbly entering the very city that would lead him to his death. 
encountering the very people that would in a few days cry for his death. And he was willing to do it, and he was truly the only one who could. Let's take a look at three reasons that we can learn from Palm Sunday that gives us the indication that it was only Jesus that could do what he did. First of all, only Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of Old Testament prophecy. Only Jesus perfectly fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. If you were a Jewish person in the city of Jerusalem on that day, you would have recognized the cry of Hosanna from some verses from Psalm 113 through 118. It was a cry of triumph. It was a cry of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our Savior is here. But you would have also recognized what was happening because of the prophet Zechariah who had foretold what was happening. Take a look at Zechariah 9, verse 9. This was written hundreds, if not thousands of years later. Verse 9 in Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I've had people ask me, well, was it a colt or was it a donkey? Well, in that day and age, it was the one in the same. It was one in the same in literature in that day and age. And specifically, uh, some of the prophets would write in a way that they would use one word to describe something in one phrase and another word that was different but yet indicated the same thing in another phrase. And so we know that colt and donkey can be used interchangeably. Now, this isn't a series specifically on how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy, but it's important to understand that Jesus did fulfill Old Testament prophecy. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with over 300 prophecies of the Messiah. You know how many Jesus fulfills, scholars tell us? Every single one of them. Every single prophecy that was written years before about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fulfills every single one of them. What are the chances that one person could fulfill those prophecies? What are the chances that one person could fulfill even a few of them? Well, some scholars looked into this. They, they looked into what are the chances, what are the percentages, what's the ratio that one person could fulfill just eight of the prophecies. Now, let's put this into context for a moment. It's Master's Sundays. A lot of you are going to go home and you're going to watch like I am. The Master's, the last round of the Master's. Um, let me give you some odds here about different things. We'll start with golf, a popular thing here on our island. The odds of an amateur golfer getting a hole-in-one is one in 12,000. Wow. One in 12,000. So if 12,000 people go out who don't, aren't professional golfers, the chances is, is that one of you would make a hole in one. Not very good odds, right? I mean, it'd be nice. I've never done it before. My dad's done it before. Some of you may have done it before. I hear you have to buy drinks or buy lunch if you do it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. The odds of an amateur golfer getting one, a hole in one is one in 12,000. Get this. The odds of someone getting struck by lightning is one in 700,000. It's good news. You have a better chance of making a hole in one than you do of getting struck with lightning. So that's good news today. The odds of someone becoming president, one in 10 million. The odds of someone becoming president of the United States is one in 10 million. But experts say the odds of one man fulfilling eight of the main prophecies about the Messiah is one and 10 to the 28th 
power. And Jesus didn't fulfill just eight of them. I want you to hear this if you're a skeptic today. Jesus fulfilled all of them. Only Jesus could have done that. Only God sending his son, the one who was God, could do that. It's miraculous in itself that one person would fulfill just eight of those prophecies. And Jesus fulfills them perfectly. And so only Jesus was the one who could fulfill all of those prophecies prophesied about. Secondly, only Jesus performed actual miracles. Only Jesus performed actual miracles. Um, We love stories. We love heroic stories, don't we? All of our literature is based on heroic stories. All the movies we see, there's some kind of hero. Most of the movies we see, most of the literature we read is based on some kind of hero. And to say that Jesus was heroic by going to his death is probably an understatement. It may be the biggest understatement ever uttered. But Jesus was heroic by willingly, please don't miss this, by willingly being led into Jerusalem on a donkey to face his death. It was heroic in the fact that Jesus was in severe danger because of the miracles that he performed. You see, the ruling leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like what Jesus said. They were fellow Jews. They were even fellow rabbis, some of them. And Jesus took the message of Judaism and turned it on its head. He said that you wouldn't have to obey all the laws, that you would just need a relationship with Jesus. He said that you didn't have to do the Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that Judaism came up with to have forgiveness of sins. He said, if you just believed in me. And the message of Jesus bothered the Jewish leaders of that day. The message of Jesus caused them to be extraordinarily angry. But the miracles of Jesus added gas to the fire because Jesus demonstrated the message, the new message of love and grace and mercy by performing these miracles. And it just added fuel to the fire. Take a look at this passage from Mark. Mark chapter 3. Jesus, it says in verse 1, he again entered the synagogue. This took place in Jerusalem. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. You see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ruling religious leaders of that day, they always were trying to trick Jesus into something. And so one of the major laws of Judaism said that you can't do anything on a Sunday. You can't work on a Sunday. You can't work on the Sabbath. And you can't perform miracles on the Sabbath. And they watched Jesus to see whether he could heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the uh, Pharisees that were watching, it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm. Excuse me. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But they were silent. They couldn't answer him. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. You see, Jesus didn't care in that moment as much about the rule as he did about the person. 
And that bothered these religious leaders because he was undermining their power. He was undermining their authority because their power and their authority was built on laws and rules. And Jesus came to change that. Jesus cared about people. He had a deep compassion for people, and it showed. And look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. The Herodians were the political rulers of the day. And when the Pharisees were at their end, when they didn't know what to do, they would always look to politics to try to solve their problem. We do that today, don't we? And so they looked to politics to try to solve their problem. They wanted to destroy Jesus. Notice it doesn't say that they wanted him in jail. Notice that it doesn't say that they wanted to silence him. What does it say? They wanted to what? Destroy him. They wanted him dead. And listen, this was the rabbi who willingly got on a donkey and rode into Jerusalem, knowing that there was a huge group of people, probably a growing group of people that had tremendous political power that wanted him dead. And it was all based on his miracles. They hated his miracles. C.S. Lewis once said, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world. Jesus was showing and demonstrating his love for people and his miracles, and they did not like it. And he chose to accept the danger of coming into a city where people wanted to kill him. They didn't want to just silence him. They wanted to kill him. Only Jesus could have done that. And thirdly, only Jesus could give his life for mankind because he was truly perfect. We're going to talk about this more next week. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. You see, in the Old Testament, it was required that the blood of a lamb, a perfect lamb, be sacrificed for forgiveness of sin. Jesus riding in on that donkey, perfect, perfect in his 33 years on earth, rode in willingly and able to solve the God-man problem because he was a perfect sacrifice. Hear this, not just for a group of people, not just for the Jews, but for all of humanity. That's the great story of Easter. That's the great story of Palm Sunday is that he rode in perfect. Zachariah said that he was required to be perfect. There had to be a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus lived a perfect life. And I realize that for some of you here today, you're like, no way. Mm -mm. Nope, he did not. 33 years, there's no way he lived a perfect life. Well, if you believe one ounce of the Bible to be true, you have to believe the whole Bible to be true. And Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he made, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who, what are the next three words? Knew, what? No sin, right? He knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus had no sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. Peter echoes that. In 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And that's the picture of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, 
willing to face what was ahead of him for you and for me and for all of humanity. Listen, church, we don't like options. And there may, I mean, we like options. We don't like only. And there may be some of you who came in here today, and the last thing that you wanted to hear is that there's only one way to have salvation. There's only one way to heaven. But I want you to hear this today. God provided only Jesus the perfect way. And I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with a perfect solution and a lot of solutions, I don't know about you, but I'm going to take the perfect one every time. And so we all do have an option in the matter, don't we? We can choose to reject the perfect plan of God, or we can choose to accept the perfect plan of God. And even in the Palm Sunday story, we see the perfect plan of God beginning to be played out. And for those of you who have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to challenge you. I want to invite you here in a few minutes to say yes to Jesus. To say, you know what, I'm going to accept. Even though I may want options, I'm going to accept Jesus only as my Savior. If you're in here today and you've been a Christ follower for a long time, a bunch of you have, I get that. Allow this to challenge you to go deeper in your faith walk. Allow, allow the sacrifice that Jesus made to lead you to make a sacrifice for him and back to him in some way. Allow it to change you this holy week, this Easter season. Father God, thank you for what you did on the cross. We'll remember that Friday. Thank you, what you for what you did by defeating death. We'll remember that on Sunday. But God, I thank you today that on Palm Sunday, so long ago, on that first day of the Passover week, that you decided to go into Jerusalem and that you willingly faced the most dangerous thing that you could face because you wanted to redeem mankind. God, you wanted to save us from our sins. You desire that one day we spend eternity in heaven with you. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to be that sacrifice. And today, right now, in the quietness of this room, I pray for those who are in here who may never have said yes to you. They, they may want to believe that there are many options to have salvation when they die. But maybe something that was said or sung or maybe something they watched on the screen just clicked. I pray for those right now who have never said yes to you. If you're in here today and something happened today in the middle of the service, in the middle of the message, in the middle of one of the songs, and it just clicked. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies and the chances are so incredibly slim, almost impossible. But yet he fulfilled them all. Maybe it's the fact that he did those miracles, that they were actually miracles, that it wasn't magic, it wasn't a trick, that they were recorded and they're true. Or maybe it was a fact that he lived a perfect life and that there were people who followed him everywhere and witnessed the miracles. They witnessed the perfection. If you're in here today and God is leading you to become a Christ follower, to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to say a prayer out loud and I want to encourage you just to say it silently in your heart as I say it out loud. It goes like this. 
God, I thank you for making me. I thank you for loving me enough to send your son to a certain death. Today, I confess the sin in my life that keeps me from you. And God, today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me to understand what it means to live for you from here on out. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you'll just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else here this morning? From my left, your right, keep your hands up for just a moment if you raised your hand. I'm going to pray for you. God, I thank you for those who said yes, a few in the past service and a few in this service. And God, I thank you that today they can walk out of this room knowing that if they die today, that they will be in heaven with you when they die. And God, we thank you for redeeming us for the work that you did, not just for humanity, but for each one of us personally. And God, I pray for those who are Christ followers I pray that they will be challenged and encouraged by what you did on Palm Sunday. God, I pray that you would help them to be challenged to reach out to others, God, like you did, and show the love that you displayed by going to the cross. God, may we, over the course of the next six days, do our best to invite our friends, our family, co-workers, and fellow students here next week so they can have the opportunity to make a decision for you. God, I thank you that you provided only Jesus the way to salvation. And we pray all this in the strong name of him who died for us. Amen. Now, next week is Easter, and I want to encourage you to invite your friends and family. This is the day that probably more people will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior than any other time. We've already had uh, uh, over 10 people accept Christ as their Savior this year through Hilton Head Island Community Church, which is awesome. That's why we do what we do. But I want to encourage you to invite someone next week. In fact, check out the screens.
Just a couple things about next week. First of all, I want to encourage you to invite some friends. Pick up one of these cards. These are invite cards that are specific for our Holy Week activities here at the church. And we've got a Good Friday service at 7 o'clock right here. And we've got three on Sunday, three services. Invite your friends, students. Invite your um, fellow students. Um, invite your neighbors. Invite your family. Invite people to be here. They will hear the message of Jesus Christ very clearly. And we'll give them another opportunity to accept him as their savior. And so I want to encourage you to take one of these, take as many as you want. We got hundreds of them. Kelly's in the back at the guest service desk. She can help hook you up with these cards. The other thing is, is um, last year during our 10 o'clock service, we literally had people like sitting over here in the dark. And uh, so I want to encourage you, um, if you are a part of our church family, I want to encourage you to come here at 830. Does that sound awesome? 830. That's sunrise for a lot of you, right? I get it. Okay. 8.30 or 11.30 and allow that 10 o'clock to be a lot of guests who will be here uh, most certainly. And so I want to encourage you on that. Also, I know a few of you raised your hand to accept Christ as your Savior. And some of you may not have raised your hand. But if you did or if you didn't, on the bottom, on the back side of that card, I want to encourage you to fill that out and mark that box that says you made a decision for Christ. And if you take that back to Kelly at the guest service desk, she'll give you a Bible. And we also want to just follow up with you to be praying for your decision that you made today. Okay? All right? Why don't you all stand up? I, I want to encourage also those of you who are part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family to give uh, on your way out. Um, it's important that we as Christ followers do that. That's an act of obedience. And so I want to encourage you to do that. The giving station is open to your left through the main doors on your way out. Thank you so much for being here. May the grace of God and the peace of him who came to die for our sins be with you this week. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. See you next Sunday, everyone.